What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie fans, Dimitri Panos here for Popcorn Talks Anatomy of a Movie, where today we're going to see what your favorite is. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome back, movie fans. How are you? We're Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie, where today we are going to talk about one of the Academy Award many nominations, uh, The Favorite. Spell with an O-U. Yeah, <clears throat> Spelt that English the way. English version. The very English version of The Favorite. And uh, today, we've got a full panel. A full panel today, which I'm very, very happy and pleased. Marissa Serafini is back. Yes, hello everyone. How are you, Marissa? Good to have you I'm back. Very, yeah, I, I missed the last one because I believe it was... Oh, what did we do? Glass. It was scary. Okay. We're not going to come back in a glass. I don't do horror. We talked an hour and a half on glass. (laughs) Way longer than I anticipated. (laughs) On to the favorite. And welcome back again. Uh, My co-host for Glass. Mina, how are you? Say hey, who you are and all that fun stuff. I'm great. I'm a huge movie buff. uh, And I'm super happy to be here. I like the favorite. Fantastic. Good. So uh, your mom's not with you today. She's not. She hated the favorite. <laughs> she hated Ugh. the favorite. Well, good. Okay. She's not here today. So uh, as we start off every uh, anatomy of a movie, before we go into the nuts and bolts of the movie, we we, we talk, we give our opinions. So I'm going to start off with you, Marissa. What did you think of the favorite? Was it your favorite? Movie? It was not my favorite. Um <laughs> Honestly, I was really rooting for this movie because I, I'm like big fan of Emma Stone and Ra- Rachel Weisz. They're fantastic actresses, rightfully so. That's why they won Academy Awards. They're great. They're talented. So I knew it wasn't going to be really like about the acting or performances. I knew that was going to be great. But I was not. I've never watched any of Yorgos Lanthimos's film, so I wasn't. Uh, familiar with his work and his directing styles and stuff so watching it i didn't know what to expect and i I really wanted to root for like three strong women you've hear heard me in the past about other films where like i'm always rooting for strong female protagonist characters and we had three of them in this but there were just things about the character developments I, i didn't like them i found characters dislikable in this film which is hard to follow throughout an entire film and there's really not one person you like, which is tough for me because I'm a woman wanting to root for these women, but I wasn't really. And um, we'll definitely get into production and cinematography and, and whatnot, but overall, it was not my favorite. There were some moments that 
Uh, I found comedic, as one would, but overall, it, it didn't hit it for me. Um, I agree with your sentiment when you say that the characters were unlikable, but that's actually what made me enjoy the film so much. I loved seeing uh, the dynamic between Emma Stone's character and Rachel Weisz's character. I thought it was really funny. Um, I love the performances, and I thought the directing style was really great, because we see a lot of shots where we're just following the characters, and it's zooming in really quickly. Um, And my favorite performance was Emma Stone's performance. I thought she did a really fantastic job in this film, and I was laughing, and I was engrossed in it. Um, Even though the story itself I didn't think was that fascinating or, you know, that complex, I thought it was a very simple story to people vying for the Queen's attention so that they could rule England by being the closest person to her. I thought it was a very simple plot line in a sense, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, actually, this was one of my favorites of uh, for last year. I, I It was it was acerbic with a side of movie, is the way. I, I really loved the... I, I loved the sarcasm, the acerbicness. Um, no, no, the, the, these characters aren't likable, and... You can have sympathy for Olivia Coleman's queen because she's getting played, but you would think she would know better. And at the same time, she doesn't treat people all particularly well. <laughs> and it really is this power play of people being nasty and trying to get rid of one another. Mm-hmm. And it was all like devilishly, diabolically delicious for me. I mean, I love the acerbicness and the dark comedy of it all. Um, yet I thought three amazing leads um, playing parts that we don't normally see them as, and they they carried it off. And it for me, it to do this type of movie, there's a fine line because you can be so acerbic and so like you can. I, again, I'm not saying I these aren't nice people, um, and it's almost it, you know you can all say it's like. Well, it's like the Seinfeld people. Like they're not nice people. They don't treat people around them nice, each other nice. They're more comedic in Seinfeld. These people are just there for their power plays and who's being politically moved as a pawn to be here or there. And then some of the men in this movie, like Nicholas Holt, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and with it all, uh, doing research, it's all deeply rooted in true history. So yes, the elaborateness, the 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 deceptiveness, the acerbicness may not have been there, but uh, Yorgos Latimos, great Irish name by the way, is, I kid, <laughs> he's got to be Greek, uh, named Dimitri Panos. I I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure he's Greek. Um, like his beats. For when blood would splatter off a face after saying pull, like after a line of dialogue, or oh look, a wren, and pushing out <laughs> Nicholas mm-hmm. Holt, pushing. I, I find that stuff funny. Um, call me sick, call me crazy, but, yeah, but I, that's I kind like of slapstick sarcasm. humor rather than a sense, writing but humor. But it's mean humor. It I is. mean, it felt when like the lobster, she... his other work, it felt very much like that. Yeah, kind of like, it's... oh, this is so twisted, and like, it's... what's wrong with you? But I couldn't stop laughing. You? It's mean. It's mean humor. <laughs> like when she gets pushed, when Emma Stone's character gets pushed out of the carriage into the mud, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 
it's not nice, but like I don't know, it was just. But it's also the physical metaphor of starting from the ground up. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally, um, and we'll get into that because that falls heavily into production design yeah. and that character's maneuvering, so to speak. But yeah, at the end of the day, I ended up watching the movie in the rabbits. It was just so bizarre. <laughs> um, shot, it seemed like this this movie outside of seeing something in IMAX. Um, with a Panamax character, uh, a camera, I should, forgive me. I can't recall the last time I've seen a movie um, director use the fisheye lens so frequently. That often. Yeah, I, mean, like, oh, gosh. Was, I was like, wow, he, he's using that fisheye lens. We're, we're getting a whole panoramic view, but from a cinematography. He, he used it so often, <laughs> I was like, did he use a regular camera lens? I was wondering. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was like watching... I haven't seen use of a fisheye lens like this, and I, I can't never. I've seen it, but he really got use out of uh, whatever they did to either they either bought the lens or they were renting it. But it was part of the cinematography, which I really liked as well. Mm-hmm. And I just loved the satire of the Whigs and the Tories. The power plays then are really no different than the evil power plays that are happening. Today, Today. Which, and, and which we'll talk about in our next movie, Vice. Which, right. when you think like when you think about the goings on in this movie, mm-hmm. it really is a great satire. Yeah, it's a satire, but also it's <clears throat> it's so true to what is happening today because the whole two sides of a political party and, again, made up of men. It, it's stuff that we still see today. History does repeat itself, or more so, history rhymes very similarly. And I like how it, you know, like we do see those different types of aspects. So we have, like, three women against each other and then men against each other. It's like, that's what it's still like today. Yeah. And uh, before we move on, we also... Again, in our, uh, for all of our films, for all the new listeners and stuff, if you look in our description, there's a, cl- a link to our PDF rundown with all the notes that we're going to try to hit as best as we can mm-hmm. following. And it film. should also be noted, uh, if you are new to the show, uh, we will talk about plot points. Not that there are great twists and turns in this movie, but there's still plot elements that if you have not seen the movie... We don't want to be blamed for spoiling it for you, although we do have a small handful of fans who actually enjoy watching our show before actually seeing the movie. Hey, to each his own, that's great. Thank you for tuning in, no matter when you watch the movie and tune us in. We just are very grateful that you're here. Yeah, and we we do have our live chat open, too. Bobby says the favorite is a masterpiece. He really enjoyed it. A masterpiece? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I'm with you. We're going to get into it. I I mean, I did like it. I'm I'm curious. Um, I wasn't surprised regarding, let's just say, not surprised regarding the nominations for acting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Olivia Coleman, who has been on episodes of Doctor Who. Um, she was in um, um, Hot Fuzz. She's big in the uh, UK. Well. She's bigger in the huge. UK. Oh, she's huge. Than she is in America. Broadchurch. Yeah. Um, which, that's where I really, really noticed her as Miller, um, which is just two great seasons of that show. She really is, she's great in this movie. When she started getting nominated and winning, mm-hmm. like, awards, I was like, okay, I'm, 
Good for you. That, and she started that, that, out doing fantastic. comedy sketches too, mm-hmm. which is so yeah. crazy to me. I didn't know that until recently. Right? Yeah, and like, and she's had a lot of theater experience yeah. and all that. Yeah, so. she just seems. Yeah, she's and she's. I think fantastic in this. You asked me before the show, who did you like better? Did you like Emma Stone or Rachel Weisz? And mm-hmm. I, you stumped me because I had to think about it. Me personally, I think they're on very equal footing, and I think that's why their power play. I think they each stepped up to their, like, they each uh, brought them up because of each strength and performance. The other person would ratchet it up too. And I thought because on equal footing, that made their competition, like, that rivalry even more deliciously dark for them. Like, who's going to win? And I thought they were both great. For me, that's a hard one. I, I can't pick one. You, Marissa? Uh, I would have to, for me personally, I'd say Rachel <clears throat> Weiss, only because I'm going back in her whole repertoire of acting. Mm. She She's obviously done way more projects than Emma Stone, because Emma Stone, I feel, is like a newer generation in the last, she's gotten big in the last 10 years, where Rachel sure. Weiss has been around for the last 20 plus. So just, <clears throat> I'm just thinking of Rachel's career from like, She's so good at also being likable and funny and comedic. I'm just freaking the whole True. Mummy franchise. Like, she's fantastic. Yeah. And then to be flip side to, to this type of film, darker, sinister, you know, mischievous in that way. Like, Rachel, just as an actress, she's believable both comedically and dark, such as yeah. this one. And I I was rooting more for Rachel Weisz's character because I think the acting range is bigger with Rachel uh-huh. than Emma Stone. Yeah. I'd have to disagree with that because I feel like Emma Stone did a better job. Um, I felt like I was rooting for her the whole movie, even though she was such an unlikable character. There were parts to her personality that that were so amusing and charming. Um, and I felt like she was kind of the underdog in the story. It's a rags-to-riches story, or a riches-to-rags-to-riches story. <laughs> sure. Um, and on top of that, you have to keep in mind that Emma Stone is not British. She doesn't have a keen understanding of the history the way Rachel Weisz would. It was more of a learning curve for her than it was for Rachel. Um, And I do love seeing Emma Stone grow throughout the years from doing Mm -hmm. things like Easy A early in her career to doing La La Land and um, The Help and doing things that really kind of put her on the map as this versatile actress that can essentially do anything. Um, I thought her performance was really fantastic. It showed, like, just, like, razor-sharp wit, and, like, she just has this essence to her that's very, like, kind of, like, cheeky and tricky that I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, she played a millennial sarcasm Mm -hmm. to Rachel Weisz's more mature, razor-sharp, like, you know, Rachel Weisz, we're not getting the faces, like, we're not getting the... As we were yeah. for Emma Stone, and I thought that the the that disparity w- worked really great. Um, but again, I I for me it was hard. I think they were on very equal footing on this movie, and that's why it works. And you brought up a point. It the movie throughout the throughout if you're following these three characters, like there were points in the movie where I was like, okay, I would feel. I was rooting for someone, okay? Mm-hmm. So I could say I was rooting for Rachel Weiss until Weiss, until 
one point in the movie where it turned and it's like, ooh, you're really not a nice person. And then you go like, wow, you're really treating her like shit. <laughs> and then Emma Stone's character would do something and you'd go, ooh, wow, you're really not nice. You're really <laughs> you treating her like shit. Wow. <laughs> and, so, and that kept on going back and forth. So, and like even the queen, I would be, well, you sort of feel empathetic or sympathetic towards the queen. And then all of a sudden she treated mm. Rachel Weisz's character. And you're going, wow, okay, so this movie, I've rooted for three characters for certain points, and then it came to a plot point where I'd go, ooh, all right, I don't like any of these people, but I'm following along, Mm -hmm. and do I want this person to get their comeuppance? And there did come a point where I wanted Emma Stone's character. I mean, to me, that character, when she poisoned and thought (laughs) she was going to kill Rachel Weisz's character... It's like okay, that's that's a line. I I want to see the comeuppance here and what's going to happen. So, to me, that's a fascinating movie. Right, I, I think then that's <clears> the thing. <throat> is like we're we're all kind of split because I think that was on purpose for just the audience wise. Who are we sure. supposed to root for yeah. between all three? And then, like that's a testament to all three actors when they're all equally on par with each other that we can't decide which one we like the most or dislike the most. And people in the live chat also, thank you guys for tuning in. I am reading. My cat said, uh, like, I I enjoyed the favor, but I don't know if I loved it. Aaron Johnson says, both actresses are great. Jonas Tiger says, all three great actresses. Mm-hmm. So, like, they even agree, too. Yeah. Like, and, and it it wasn't are. really the, like, the performances are solid from everybody. Put it to you this way. The movie does not work with a weak link in that chain. If mm-hmm. one of those actresses didn't step up, mm-hmm. if one of the performances was weak, you'd be able to pick it out pretty easy. So each one in their own way really brought to the table their A game in doing it. And if you want to root for somebody, root for the bunnies. Aww, <laughs> if you root for bunnies. the bunnies. <laughs> Just sad metaphor. You know, but it's even the men. Symbolic. You know, the men were Nicholas Holt's character was They were not. so beautiful, though. <laughs> like, they were significantly more beautiful than the women, just with the makeup and the wigs. Or, and like, the... physically or oh, no, internally? Just, no, like a just, whole different story. Just, yeah, just with the costume design and the makeup, and it was so over-the-top. Signs right. of the times, though, signs of the times. Yeah. And, like, completely trivia that the, the wigs in this film had their own trailer. There were yeah. so many wigs in this film. Mm. <laughs> Which the is wig awesome. makeup had their own freaking trailer. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's and, crazy. And, and it, you know, what? you're right. The men were definitely the roosters in the literal sense. And, like, where they got dressed up. Mm-hmm. They had to look pretty, so to speak. Um, it was a weird role reversal where the women held the power and the men... We're doing things we're that for the women typically do to, to get right. power. Like, oh, tell me what so-and-so said. Or, like, they really didn't have any strings to pull in, in this no. movie. Yeah. yeah, it was so interesting to see that dynamic. Well, and then you have, you know, what are we going to fund? Are we funding the war or are we not funding the war? How are we manipulating the women to do, you know, when the women were getting stuff out of it as well? And that, to me, too, is that whole that whole political satire um you know and even the the broad comedy you mentioned slapstick i mean there was some slapstick there's a cow there was a dance sequence in this movie that i was laughing hysterically in by the way 
Especially, I think it was Nicholas Holt who was, I forget what character yeah. was doing the Elaine Bettis. I mean, she made Elaine Bettis look good. <laughs> and I, how can you not laugh at the, the absurdity of it all? And I thought that Yorgos did a great job of pointing out the absurdity of these wigs, these makeups. Cause, and, and he made a conscious effort. Nothing could be as much as they wanted it to be perfect, there was always a curl out of place. There's always makeup running. They just, they looked all puffed up, but they mm-hmm. really weren't. And I just, you know, Nicholas Holt, I thought too, was fantastic mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah, he's always great. He really is. <laughs> he's and, fantastic. And you have to say, he looked different. <laughs> the, the movie was just so visually satisfying, not just the costume design, but even how <clears throat> the director approached those scenes of opulence where people would just have ducks running around in a right. race or like they would just have like these slow motion shots of people like fanning themselves or, or laughing and it just it was such a great way to kind of portray like the the very lavish display of like well, what's going on here even though there's like this huge political thing going on in a war and not enough funds but you're spending all these funds on ridiculous things but yeah it's Horatio the so fastest funny. duck in the city Again, it was all the ludicrousness of the opulence, like the silliness that the rich people get when they're talking about the peasants. When we meet the real commoners who are not having duck races, they're on the verge of starvation yeah. and they're still helping somebody out. Mm-hmm. So, you know. But and, that's also big in the European culture, the animal races. Right. As illegal as it is, they're like, no, that that was a form of entertainment for them. Well, hey, there's a bar in Marina del Rey that has turtle races. Yeah, <laughs> relatively mean, popular. But but Nicholas fun. Holt as Harley too, he was wicked. Mm-hmm. I mean, wicked. I just go back to that scene where he's walking, he's walking with Emma Stone's Abigail, and he goes, and and she doesn't like what he doesn't like what she says. And he goes, oh, look, a pretty red. And she turns around and he pushes her down a hill. Mm-hmm. When she rolls down, I'm like, oh, wow. And then it was like, so if you don't say what I like, I'll punch you in the stomach right now. And it's like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She's like, she please did. don't punch me. Yes. <laughs> she did. I like how she had that, that physical assertiveness to, like, take someone out. And yes. she meant it. Yes. She wasn't talk Like, no, I will punch you. Yes. I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. I love the scene in the forest, too, where it was, like, this weird flirtatious chase scene. But they were just beat. Like, she was just, like, beating him. And he kept coming back to her. I was like, what is happening? I could not stop laughing. I'm like, what are you doing? But she was great in that scene. She really I loved was. her in that scene. I mean, <laughs> you know, because you would think she's about to give up, but no, no. Uh, and he kept on chasing her. I, I wouldn't want to mess fun. with her. I'll just get rid of that. No. And, and, and again, to see how she worked her way up mm. within that society, within that world of the politics, so to speak. Um, again, I thought that the way that the characters were written, um, it so needed to be perfectly cast because I, not everybody... Can can do it, mm-hmm. uh, I think, because there, Marissa, as you said, there is a physicality to it, as mm-hmm. well as a verbal communication, and I thought it was done great. Each each of them stepped up wonderfully. Mm-hmm. I felt so. Agreed. So, um, Marissa, you talked about the trailer having having wigs. Yeah, the wigs had had their own trailer. I mean, shoot. 
I've been here at AfterBuzz, and I got my own chair but <laughs> for years. But they had their own freaking trailer. I just found that actually pretty funny. But it just showed that, like, yeah, wigs and makeup were a humongous facet back in, yes. in the day. Because it did show a symbolism of power. Yeah. Yeah, and and class, right? And mm-hmm. don't forget too that even when um, you know we had our fine ancestry come over from England, they kept the wigs, like you know George Washington and uh, uh, like Ben Frank, like they all wore wigs still. Um, so they kept that going on for a while. Uh, I want to talk about. So it is 2019, and this movie. Uh, believe it or not, Yorgos Lanthimos saw uh, a draft of The Favorite in 2010. Hmm. 2010. This is going back. So this is a movie that he's been he's been thinking about making for a while. He did The Lobster, did a couple of movies, um, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, and when it came, and he just never forgot about this movie and that he really wanted to become a part of it and it's like okay so we need to find a writer who could mesh with Yorgos Lanthimos's um gestalt so to speak the way he is his his personality mm-hmm. and so that's how they hired Tony McNamara and um you know it was it was they they found him and, and they liked him because they felt that he shared that same that that change, that same way of looking at a tantalizing way of probing weirdness and wildness of everyday human behavior, and like I said, when you look at the favorite, I don't care what even with, if you're not talking, take politics out out of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there are power struggles in businesses today that are you know there have been many corporate kinds of movies like Wall Street or so that talk about the power play. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie crosses... Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. It's a great... You know, you could take the favorite plot line and plug it into any kind of business powership, mm-hmm. leadership, and it would work. We could see it even in the movie Vice, which we're going to talk about right. later, just having that person who whispers in your sure. ear, but who's really <clears throat> calling the shots the entire time. Yeah. It right. just plays so, out again and again. Yeah, and so th- that to me was one of the things about the favorite that I that I kind of embraced, is that you can plug its, you can take its plot out, plug it into a completely different setting, whether it's business, um, small business, big business, uh, commercial business, independent business, a power struggle and a power play for getting the president's ear or the CEO's ear or the CFO's ear, whoever it is. Are you getting to the right person to manipulate them for power? Yeah. Yeah. Or for you. For your benefit. For your benefit. Yeah. Right. For your your advantage. And also to, so Jorgis was a part of this or has known about the script for the last 10 years, but it was actually Deborah Davis first became familiar with the story 20 years ago when she actually read an article in in a local London newspaper with the headline, Everyone Knows Queen Anne for Having an Affair um, with with Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough. And that actually piqued her interest where she started doing research and got more into the background of what happened between these women and, and the power mm-hmm. struggle between them. And like that's what kind of set it off 20 years ago for her to write the story. Right. And let, let us not forget, too, we were talking about various businesses the favorite works, you know, that plot line works very well in Hollywood. (laughs) So in Hollywood businesses as well. And something that I found, and to me this is where 
this does where the favorite is not a merchant in ivory production where it's not a movie about staid manners being that it's a period film um so uh mcnamara says uh even though we know this was a society of manners at the time underneath that we wanted to show a sort of casual cruelty Mm -hmm. he calls it society was rigid and you were stuck where you were so all you had was your ability to influence other people and to shift yourself and your motive to shift your ground. That was why people operated with such hard, hardcore, and these are his words, hardcore cruelty at the time. Mm-hmm. So that all makes sense. I mean, they knew, yeah. he found, they found the perfect writer who, who, who understood this. And I think that that's, um, uh, I, th- I think that that was uh, kismet on their part for, for mm-hmm. putting this movie together. So, um, you know, and then regarding production design, um, they actually did. Do you have information on the castle that they used? Yes. Yeah. I, I have to, amount. Again, you should refer to our notes because there's a lot in there that we may not cover. But I found actually very fascinating because on top of the whole fish lens hmm. uh, information. But the production, I was like, I, I did overall enjoy the, the overall look and uh, the castle they started March of 2017 for the filming, but right. like tonally, they they went with the yellow brown um, palette to right. to show the richness and the opulence of of the castle and their lavish lifestyles. And they filmed a 35 millimeter film. Yeah, yeah. But and 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 and, and the palace, uh, they utilized this Hartfield House, which is a Jacobian estate in in Hertfordshire, England. And it's on a parcel of land that, that, that has housed royals since the 15th century. Um, very apropos. <laughs> very apropos. And the other thing, too, about it, it was, outside of being replete with grand staircases, uh, drawing rooms, elongated corridors that would stretch for miles, which Yorgos used, the, uh, we talked about fisheye lens, which he used that to, mm-hmm. to, 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 I mean, these corridors were amazing. Like, so long. But the other thing, too, that I found fascinating was the fact that all these corridors led to various, or led to the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, an, there was the, the house was, quote unquote, connected. Uh, you know, instead of internet, Wi-Fi connected, they were connected by these corridors, mm-hmm. which the traffic uh, would ebb and flow to the queen, whether she wanted you in the room. That was a Sure. Yeah, and to, to add upon that, Yorgos said that the way the palace operated was really mm. important to him because visually they used that for the storytelling. So it was like we could follow a character that uh, was in one room, and because it was connected, it was like following, say, Abigail. Right. It's like she would start in one room, work her way downstairs, and then work her way up to oh. like another room right. throughout these corridors. Yeah. So visually, you can just track where people are. Um, actually on on screen and so he he definitely used a 360 fish lens for that <laughs> for in the whole whip pan so you do get a, a sense of the space of the lavish um halls that they were in lots of whip pans lots so it's many whip pans i can't like, like you seriously you can do a drinking game out of this for how many whip pans you say. <laughs> but um they also used a lot of practical lighting yes for this and and uh robbie ryan who's the dp um 
you know, Yorgos was always looking for different angles, which I think he found them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the film was never shot in a conventional manner, and you saw them constantly seeking out different ways to film. And that's uh, Robert Ryan was saying uh, what makes Yorgos' film feel different, fresh. And it did feel different. Like, it was unlike a movie that I had seen that year or this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was, uh, yeah, to me, it, the visual engagement of the, of the movie um, and, 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 the, and the contrast between clean, dirty, <laughs> um, people getting muddied, uh, and then coming back to clean the bathtub sequence was very funny as they're getting dirty with mud. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I find the contrast. The irony the in looked, that. Yeah, it was, it was again, wicked. Because mm-hmm. I like to use even from a, a person from Boston. Uh, wicked is in my vernacular as a regular <laughs> word. But in this, this term, I use it as wicked. <laughs> yeah, a lot of practical lighting uh, such as that. <clears throat> and um, they had to use so many candles. But there is... For production, there is a protocol for wax managing and candle right. managing. So they had to use so many wax catchers for like basically every candle that you see on screen. <laughs> what a, a job. lot of practical lighting. PA, that's a PA. Oh, guy. I know. Those poor PAs. I just <laughs> want to give them a hug. <clears throat> um, and, and the movie looked, but it looked really good. It looked for, for for a period piece. Number one, not only are the characters not like, very, like, just straight, boring. Like, these weren't those characters that we're used to seeing in, like... In a period this is, piece. This is not Downton Abbey. Yeah. Okay. Oh. And I, I'm not dissing on Downton Abbey. And it's Abbey. not as serious as Downton Abbey either. No. It's, it's not that. So whatever you're used to, it, I found that the humor is a little more contemporary. Yeah. For, the t- for, for that time. I'm not sure that things went down exactly that way. Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there was still a wickedness about it. But, um, yeah, this is not, like I said, this is not your merchant and ivory period piece in England. This is not the English patient either. Right. And I think the yellow and brown tones help. Yeah. Just show that this film overall <clears throat> is still on a lighter note. Yeah, there are darker tones and themes and darker situations that do happen, but it never goes so dark where it's unwatchable. And it never takes itself too seriously. Yeah. Where you, when you still have a dark moment, it's still capped off with a moment of levity. Yeah. So well, overall, like, the film still is fairly comedic. Yeah, and, and to your point, too, regarding the color palette, um, with with costume designer Sandy Powell and the dressers, and mm-hmm. when you look at the checkered black and white marble floor uh, at that great hall, so that was a design palette for the film with the monochromatic fields of golds, the champagnes, the pineapple oak tones, and then you have these costumes sit in these gold, warm, wooden worlds, like, or wooden warmth. And so they all add to a color palette that really, it stood out. Mm -hmm. You brought up earlier about the men looking better. Like, their color palettes really stood out. Um, They were peacocks. Mm-hmm. In a sense, they were and they were puffing their chest and flashy. Each <laughs> flashy. Each wig was puffier than the next. So, um, you know, but it was meant for the audience to to like. There was nothing subtle. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. about this movie. The sarcasm, everything about this movie was like, look at there's a great picture. Yeah, everything in this movie. <laughs> You know, you didn't really have to look for it. You could dive deep like we are. But the way I looked at this movie, it really wasn't subtle. And I, I love no. how they kind of... It was self-referential in a way where they even called out themselves that there were, like, these grand wigs in, in the scene where Emma right. Stone's character is like, take off your wig, take your lipstick right. off. And it was such a role reversal of a woman telling a man, hey, I don't want you wearing makeup. Right. Take it all off. I want to see you like this. Right. Like, this is how I want to perceive you. This is mm-hmm. too much. And I loved that scene. Yeah. yeah, it's a great, it's a great funny, it's a great scene that says a lot. Yeah. It calls out the production design, the costume design, and also <clears throat> the power of women. Yeah. yeah. There's self-awareness. I appreciate it. <laughs> So, yeah, and they even talk, the, the film's use of wide-angle lenses and the 360-degree whip pans were especially so rewarding. Uh, uh, it gives <laughs> new perspective on her team's work. A, a character will walk into a room and you get this incredible wide shot. We say, oh, again, one of my favorite shots was when Emma Stone was inadvertently, when she came in, she was spying, seeing, I guess that's a twist, when we see the queen and and Sarah mm-hmm. for yeah. the first time. And Abigail is like, oh, she just walks in on this. But there's that great shot where it just goes zoom, yeah. <laughs> right down from the thing. And you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's nothing subtle. I felt like I was terrified and simultaneously so entertained right. in that moment. I was like, what's going to happen? This is like, is she going to get caught? What's like, what's going on right, right now? Right. So that was so funny. Yeah. So much fisheye lens. Oh yeah, but uh, but I understand why he used it because it did give the audience a voyeuristic look into their lives. We yeah. are you know, like the flies on the walls watching these people live out their lives and like scheming against each other. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a different type of perspective looking out. Right. Speaking of flies, I love the the added touch of the flies like whizzing around Emma Stone's <laughs> character in the yeah. very initial introduction. Yes introduction um of her character to Rachel Vice. Um that was the best. I kept wondering how they managed to make that happen if they just had to like edit that in or, or sound yeah. Sound. Yeah, but the, like the, the whizzing not the yeah. not the sound, but just like the flies around her head. Yeah, it was that, She's and, and again, it makes what sense. does it say too about that character? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, flies follow her. Riches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well what yeah, yeah, which what's she coming from? What do flies usually buzz around? I know. I have a dog. <laughs> so, yeah. In any yeah. case. Um but again it's that it's that dichotomy it's from like coming on up. Like mm-hmm. you know, how they all tricked her with um putting her hands in the lie. What was it that she was mm-hmm. at the very beginning? Mm-hmm. And she starts again, these were just the commoners. These were the Yeah. These were the these are the blue collar workers and this newbie comes along and they literally trick her into burning her hands so badly. I wasn't it felt like that scene in Lame is Rob <clears> how <throat> they treated Fontaine in the beginning. And uh, I, I just I kept wondering, where is this going? I know there's supposed to be a rivalry and the whole time I like I still don't know if Emma Stone's character came into this with this grand scheme that she would be this person and she would get her ladyship back. Right. She would get that title back. Or if she really was innocent and there was a genuine like arc where she went from being this genuine innocent woman to learning how to survive and using this coping mechanism to become who she needed to be to survive. I still don't know if this was all premeditated or if it was 
a genuine transition of inner character. Yeah, I completely agree because I thought about that too. Because you don't know what her motivation truly is when she gets there. No. She just seemingly she just wants a job, but mm-hmm. then I think it's like a matter of being in the right place and right time. She overheard that conversation. She saw things that she shouldn't. She's she talked to other people and saw people do things that they shouldn't, and that was like actual collateral and leverage that she could use to gain to mm-hmm. like just rise in power and use that against people. So I think just character wise she she had moments she was stuck in moments that helped her to her advantage. Right. right. Oh absolutely. And she to her advantage is the key word. And again, it's one of those times so when she shows up, you actually do feel sort of bad for her. She's being mistreated by the help. And all she was looking for is to be part of the help. And they're dumping all over her. And you go, oh, that's too bad. But then when she starts to rise and she becomes so evil, you're like, oh, my God, you deserved every, <laughs> everything they did to you. Like, right. you're not a nice person. I think that's why I rooted for her more than anyone else was because I knew where she had come from. And I saw it as this is just a condition of her environment. And I saw it as a coping mechanism for her to survive. I was like, this is who she is. She has to be this way in order to get what she wants. But then the power just got way out of hand. Way, 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 way out of hand. I think that character was a manipulative character. From the beginning. From the beginning. You do think that. You don't get that, (laughs) quote unquote, good at it by just showing up and then all of a sudden learning now, she was a conniving, scheming person. I don't but know what happened in her. Like, I know that they said that she, she lost her ladyship. She lost her before, ladyship. And, I think she realized I need to be this way because this is what happened to me in the past. Perhaps, if I'm like yeah. this, this will never happen again. My end goal is to get back the status that was wrongfully taken away from me. No. You know, it was like so, maybe it was Cinderella. It wasn't really story. clearly. Fun. I don't think it's a Cinderella story for her. I think. <laughs> No, I think definitely. Cinderella wasn't all... that mean. No, Cinderella's not mean at all. It was Cinderella her three didn't deserve any of the no, crap Cinderella that happened to her. No, Cinderella on steroids, though. You know, no. <laughs> she, um, just, she just went the wrong way. No, these ended up being, and then you feel sorry for Rachel Vice because the queen is blinded by 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 Abigail. You're blindsided. Uh, and Abigail's younger. Uh, Rachel Vice can you know feel threatened from her her looks. And then you start to feel bad for her, but then something happens where you're like going, wait, you're, you're not nice either. <laughs> it's like, we, these were wicked people. And that, to me, I found, because like I said at the, at the top of the show, for a couple of minutes, you sympathized with each one of them. Yeah. And then you start to root, well, I don't want Abigail to take Sarah's role. But then again, Sarah deserves a slap in the face, but Abigail deserves a lot too. So... You know, and the whole time the queen's being played, and you almost feel bad for her too. But she's a loon. Mm-hmm. The queen was she a loon. Is. And but like she also has a very tumultuous past where you sure. had to, as a human, you would feel bad for her. seventeen miscarriages. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine like a woman going through one, and she has so. seventeen. So and like she never had <clears throat> great health problems, or like she always had health problems. She had gout. She had gout, insecurities, <laughs> and so she had a lot of mental and physical insecurities where she was fighting herself which were her own self demons on top of everyone else just trying to use her and manipulate her and her weaknesses to get to gain her power and she wasn't a strong queen either like she (laughs) there was that again i thought it was a historical scene where 
she's supposed to be putting out her resolve for the budget and where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And then Nicholas Holt comes up and sort of sidelines and they go, go on and go. And she passes out, falls over mm-hmm. to get out of doing it. I feel arguably, um, I don't want to say anything. That's how I should do things. Yeah, yeah just stuff. drop dead. <laughs> just, That's all you got to do. Just, It'd be passable. I'm oh, like, the vapors. Like, oh, too bad. <laughs> Just, just sorry, can't get out of it. Yeah, no, that's that, what else can you do in that situation? But um, I feel like arguably her character also had mental illness. But at that time, I think it would have been very hard to diagnose something sure. like depression or whatever else she might have been going through because there are so many signs of her just feeling no joy, even uh-huh. when she were, even when she was in situations that were supposed to be joyous occasions. There was nothing that genuinely brought her joy, except for her rabbits. To an extent. Yeah. Well, the rabbits were a symbolism for oh, every for, single child right. she lost. Right. And also, I think they were also a symbol of helplessness. And for her to take care of something that was more helpless than herself probably gave her the power she yeah. never had. And she was not a strong decision maker, at least as portrayed in this movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. And, uh, and well, that was also the thing because she, because she couldn't produce an actual biological heir, she was the end of her own line. Right. And that's why so many people were after her, because you take her out, the next person who's going to succeed her is the one in par, because right. there is no biological heir. Right. So, and it's very understandable why people were, why everyone was after her, because right. whoever took her out was the next person in line. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, the power plays going on, oh, I found man. to be. You know, brilliant. So I wanted to talk because we, we I wanted to talk one second uh, about costumes again because I mentioned the word peacock and it's right here in press notes. So Harley's the peacock mm-hmm. and utterly and this is coming from Paul, the um, costume designer, uh, the utterly over the top flamboyant dandy. His dress is similar to all the men. But then I pushed the ruffles, the frills, and gave him lots of extra lace. Everything's a little bit bigger and more exaggerated. And catch this, this I didn't know. And since Nick is six foot two with his three inch heels, he towered over everybody. I didn't know he was that tall to begin with. Yeah, I didn't realize he was six foot two. But again, I thought that that made his presence and his sarcasm was, was just sharp, 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 sharp. Um, one of the thing, the one thing stuck out to me in this movie, um, and and I think you're going to agree when I say this, the score mm-hmm. was, I couldn't tell, like it wasn't, it wasn't to the point of Jackie. Remember when we did? Oh, Jackie! <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember. I wish <clears throat> I didn't, but I sure do. But it okay. So if you haven't watched our Jackie review from. Last year is about two, like, years ago. two years, two years, years ago, ago yeah. or whatever. Gosh, it seems... it's been a while already. But that that music was just so overpowering and overbearing, where it takes the audience out of the scene. Oh. You're only thinking about the music and how terrible and how it does not add. It does it in, like it doesn't enhance. It ruins. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that was Jackie. Yeah. So we have very strong opinions about that score, but um, and the score in this was every time. Whether it was a cello, I don't know what instrument exactly it was, but every time it came, I knew something wicked this way comes. <laughs> it was like it was like the foreshadowing of, oh boy, okay, <laughs> buckle up because somebody's gonna be not nice to somebody. It was it was that foreshadowing. 
I wouldn't necessarily say I'm going to go out and buy the soundtrack, but it was an interesting score Mm -hmm. nonetheless, right? I mean, do you agree, disagree? Do you remember it? Recall the score? Did it stick out to you? Honestly, no. No. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Like, I didn't... <clears throat> the music and and I'll like give a testament to it. It wasn't that overbearing that I would that I didn't remember and right. not, and that sounds terrible. But uh, Mav, I'm gonna butcher his last name. Mavro Pasaridis. Another another <laughs> the Mavros, composer. Yeah, Mavro. the composer. He actually they another so nice they were Irish trying name. like different types of music for this film because it is a period piece. Right. Um, but they said at certain times they even try to use more modern music, but then they reverted more back to the classical music because they didn't see um, that that would take away from the actual time period. Yeah, so they it, went back to classical music, and it didn't seem well. There was no chamber music. Mm-hmm. That was going on here either. So um, it definitely stood out. And again, I think that's one of the things that makes the favorite stand out. If you're going into the movie thinking you're going to get your 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 normal period piece, you know, that can be very dry. This movie's not dry. Yeah, there's a lot of dubstep, the, EDM music. The, yeah, uh, no, just kidding, well, but. but I'm just <laughs> the movie itself is just not dry. This is not the dry English period piece you might think it is. It can be farcical at times. It may have you wondering, what am I watching at times? But I think that's the point. And that, to me, is one of the things that made it um, a fascinating movie to watch. So let's talk a little bit about... um, Let's talk a little bit about its grosses, what it's been doing. So... We talked about this movie's been out since November 23rd. I had yeah. no okay. idea until today. And it came like out. Two months. <clears throat> yeah, November 23rd, uh, limited release. Uh, and then it goes, it went wide uh, December 21st. So thus far, thus far, uh, at least domestically, it has done about 26, oh, $27 million. Mm-hmm. Not bad. I, I'm not quite sure in its production and budget. Foreign but is also about 28. Foreign is, yeah, 28. So worldwide, $55 million um, this movie has brought in. For a movie of this ilk mm-hmm. and caliber, I that's really not too bad. I think some of the nominations and some of her, like some of the award wins that, it, that like Olivia Coleman, really big in England, as you mentioned earlier, too. I think that helps. Right. Um, this movie has ten Academy Award nominations, yeah. so I mean it, it's getting a lot of attention and accolades in that way. For uh, I, I have the quick list, but best original screenplay, production design, costume design, best picture of the year, mm-hmm. best directing, actress in leading role for Olivia Coleman, and supporting roles for both Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone. That's Cinematography, that fisheye lens. I mean, come on. Yeah, and then uh, film editing. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's it's in a good. <laughs> they have a good span of yeah. nominations. They spread out film. the wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they should get at least one. Now, on Rotten Tomatoes, 93%. Critics really enjoyed this movie. And we've got, uh, you regular know, from a cinema score 62. thing. Say that again? The Tatumir, so the regular audience is about 62. Yeah. You know, oh, and wow. Which is lower. It's, <laughs> yeah. It is. I, I, there's no cinema score on it because, for whatever reason, they don't do... These kind of movies, which I think they should. This feels like more um, like an art house film. <clears throat> oh, it's definitely an art house film, and I. The I common also, people aren't going to watch this film. No, and I, it, even for the art house fair, I think you know people 
like Yorgos Latimos, and some people don't. You know, he's very, he can be, I don't want to, divisive is too strong of a word, but bold. Some people don't. His style is very unique. Like, you don't meet a lot of directors who have, like, a very, like, out of the box sense of humor that's both sarcastic, right. dark, but also at the same time silly with the slapstick humor. Yeah. Like those things usually don't go well together. It's usually and, either slapstick humor, um and his subject or, matter yeah. is a little can be a little off kilter. You're combining all well. these you're combining right. a period piece with comedic humor that's both silly and modern, juxtaposed with a very old story, oh. old backdrop. And, yeah. In history. And sometimes people go, what? What are we? Yeah. They don't know what they're watching. Some people. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. Um, but at f- over 50 mil, $55 million worldwide, I think it's going to have staying power, at least here in the States. Um, we'll see how it does in the Academy Awards. So. And it helps that Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone are also oh, in a, already Academy Awards yeah. winners. Um, big in, in America. I mean, Olivia Coleman's also big in the UK. So it does have different demographics watching this film. It is an extremely well-rounded cast when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And who has popularity, um, you know, nation, like domestically, abroad. Um, that, too, I think is another... Part of why it's been successful overseas. People like Emma Stone, they do like yeah. Rachel Vice a lot. And, you know, Miss um, Coleman, I think, is on to uh, bigger and greater things. She is a great comedic actress. If you've watched Hot Fuzz, um, mm-hmm. and she's had some comedic things in, in Broadchurch, albeit a very serious mystery, um, going against being paired with David Tennant, mm. she's She's fantastic. I mean, she really is. If you haven't watched Broadchurch, I highly recommend it. Uh, same with everybody out here in the audience. So, well, I think we've, I think we've, we've tapped out on the favorites. I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think we've talked about everything we can talk about here. And if we didn't cover it, <clears throat> definitely check out our PDF rundown. Yeah. So, um, final thoughts on the movie before. Uh, we're moving on. Honestly, I had more fun talking about this film than watching ha, it. But that's so, great. <laughs> so I think we did our job. So uh, you know, I, I audience, did you hear that? I, hopefully, you can feel the same way. How about yourself? Yeah. Overall, what did you think? overall, I really liked it. I started getting a little annoyed towards the end because the characters were so unlikable. I did like the end scene that was so random and weird of the different rabbits piling up <laughs> over one another because I feel like it really kind of play to that whole theme of the movie of it being like, oh, there's a lot of helplessness involved um, where there's innocence and where there's a desire for power or the desire to be taken care of. So, and they multiply like rabbits. Yeah, just yeah. multiplying, multiplying, and on the surface, very cute rabbits, very beautiful, but then there's like this underlying Dark helplessness. Symbolism. But um, my final thought is that I think that, I definitely think it's going to win the Academy Award for Best Achievement in Costume Design uh, for Sandy Powell, and I think Emma Stone has a really high chance of winning uh, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. It'd be, it'd be very so, interesting. We'll it'd be fun to find out. Um, hmm. If you have yet to see this, if you're a person who... Uh, um, likes to see the Academy Award nominated movies, uh, I would say, yeah, put this, go see this, go see the favorite, go see it, go see it in a theater because it looks lavish and a very big screen. Um, and then decide for yourself, does it deserve 10 nominations? Uh, and then uh, you can chat. If you haven't seen it, you can come back and chat with us. But if you have seen it, by all means, 
Tell us what you think. Do you think it deserves 10 nominations? Do you think it deserves who's going to win Best Supporting Actor? Will Olivia Coleman come away with the actress? Will it, could, will it do Best Picture? It's it's weird. It's been all over the board. So just to, if we're, before we wrap yeah. up, Emma and Rachel are running up against Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, mm-hmm. Marina Del uh, De Tavira for Roma, and Amy Adams in Vice. And uh, Regina King has already won. Yeah. Um, for the Golden, Golden Globe. Gold, yeah, it's a very so, strong... Uh, it's, it's a strong, and like, if Beale Street could talk, she had a, an excellent performance in that mm-hmm. film. So, I mean... I have they, to watch they're, that. They're really going up against Regina. Yeah, and I and themselves. I always hate it when they have yeah. to cannibalize against each other. I think mm-hmm. it makes it uneasy for the actresses, too. But we'll see what happens. In any case, thank you for tuning in to The Favorite... Uh, we will have more movies uh, during this Academy season, along with new movies that are be coming out uh, within... February is a fun month. We've got, I mean, Alita Battle Angel, which I saw, had a great time. we got Happy Death Day to You. Um, we've got, uh, there's another uh, uh, Valentine's Day movie coming out. We've got a lot of movies in February. I think this is going to... I think this is going to be a great year for movies. Yeah, really we're going to try our best to wrap out the rest of the Academy Awards. Absolutely. Um, nominated pictures this is a slow week, so maybe next week awards. we can uh, yep. knock off a few others. But stay tuned. We'll be doing movies like Vice mm-hmm. uh, coming up very soon. Yep. So thank you very much for tuning in. Continue to tune in. Please recommend us to your friends. Uh, and if you love movies, Popcorn Talk Network's the place to do it. Anatomy of a Movie. Marissa, where can people find you? Everyone can follow me at Serafini TV. Look at me. How dare you? Look away. You can find me on Instagram at Mina Makes Magic. And you can find me on the Twitters at DMovies1701. I'm also featured on Popcorn Talk Network's Meet the Movie Press, uh, which also tapes on Fridays. So uh, see you around, folks. See you at the movies. Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.